We're back, the Whiskey Hue, a podcast from three brown startup enthusiasts that pull back the curtain on business, culture, and side pieces. <laughs> Not that type. We're talking about cannabis, blockchain, crypto, e-games, and so much more without the bullshit, and most importantly, over whiskey. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing, it's not confusing. middle. It's not confusing. <laughs> We're three brothers, various am. shades of brown, <laughs> bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Chicken, 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 chicken. Uh, that's all. Finally. There we finally, go. Finally, <laughs> finally, 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 finally. Rehearsing. Listen, I was rehearsing. Just for that. So, just for that one right there. I got you. No problem. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the Whiskey Hue, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're going to be bringing more heat. I think we've been on the road, fellas. Uh, yeah. We've been bringing in some great guests, great topics. And today, just like the others, we're going to be bringing uh, exceptional guests to level up our conversation. So um, I'm excited to have this person come and drop gems, but I won't steal the thunder. I'll let it through. Um, as he as he says, he's the token Asian of the crew. Uh, to introduce our, our lovely our lo- lovely guest, let me talk about quote unquote this person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this person, you mean the one right next to you on screen? All right. Jaquette M. Timmons focuses on the human side of money as a financial behavioralist and is committed to getting you to see that you don't manage money. You manage your choices around money. Facts. Facts. Thought. She's an author, financial intimacy, how to create a healthy relationship with your money and your mate, a blogger and creator of two things, at least the comfort circle, a dinner series where attendees discuss money, business, life, and over food and wine. Boom. And number two, pricing made human presented in different formats as a masterclass, retreat, VIP day uh, to help small businesses learn what should I charge for this? She's also host of the More Than Money podcast. So today we're doing something special. We're recording this. One episode is going to air on Jacquette's stream, More Than Money, and on ours. So Whiskey Hue stream. So listen to both of them so we both get the number of credits. Yes, we need you know, our stream credits. <laughs> I'm not done yet. She does a lot. All right. So she travels the country to, to Fortune 100 companies, AM Law 200 firms. I had to look that up, not lying. Conferences speaking about the intersection of emotions and money. Where she's been featured? Sirius XM, Good Morning America, Oprah.com, CNN, Clyde and Anthony's favorite Fox News. I'm kidding. Fox, <laughs> Black, Enter- Black Enterprise, NPR, and Wall Street Journal, among many others. Oh, man. Um, she does something brilliant, fellas. She does something brilliant on the thing at the tail end of her podcast. Listen to her. She got that soothing voice, you know, la, la, la. Because I come through chaos with World War Four in here with these kids every day. Um, she, at the end of her podcast, she always says, buy me a coffee. So her listeners... You know, it's a small donation. Put in four or five, ten bucks if you're in Manhattan, wherever you're at. Uh, putting in some money in the coffee bin. We should do that. Buy me a whiskey. Buy me Bam. A I like Buy it. So, and another beautiful thing I like about Stealing. Jaquette. Stealing that. Okay. <laughs> Taking that idea. Um, put it in the Thule.com fund. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, this is the one baller ass thing. Let me tell you how baller she is, all right? So, I get paid 40%. I, of my speaking engagement, Jacques like, no, 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 a hundred percent. She gets paid. She does not get out of bed unless a private jet and an expensive bottle of watches. 
Champagne is waiting for her, right? <laughs> did, I, did I pronounce that French enough for you? Um, I want that life. Um, I'm all about sharing or caring. Sharing is caring, but you know, one of these kids is going to need some braces someday. So boom, I got to start charging these cats. All right, where do we meet? I want to give you, I'm not done because this girl's awesome, this, this lady. Okay, where do we meet? Uh, 2009, 2010, Jaquette was speaking at an event at the Bridgewaters. Remember the wedding event venue that used to be down by South Street Seaport? Uh, wedding event, you could see the Brooklyn Bridge and the East River. It was so dope. Um, I was living on Wall Street at the time. So Holland. everyone here knows, uh, uh, these two know this about me, and Jaquette, you know this about me too, because I mentioned it that first day. Um, as much as, and I mentioned the pod, as much as one heterosexual man can be in love with another man's music, Maxwell, <laughs> I love that dude's music at the time. And at the time when you and I met, it was about 12, 15 years in, right? Because he was like 90s. Um, so I, Jacquette's always had this amazing head of hair and it was actually even larger back then. So I can't, I saw her literally from across the hall, like all the way down at the beginning intro and she's all the way by the stage. I'm like, that hair is dope. She was facing the other way. So I walked up and that was what I said in the first First thing to you, I mean, I love your hair. And then we hit it <laughs> off, man. <laughs> Hold on, time out, time out, time out. Time out. So is that true? Oh, wow. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, wow. Transparent. I'm, I'm not Anthony. Hey, edit that out. <laughs> it's unedited. Raw, baby. <laughs> yep, very true. Uh, no, but she's, she's sharp. She's sharp. She's ambitious as hell. And I love that about her. And she's genuine and always has a beautiful smile on her face. So I love our engagement, our interaction. So boom, that's Jacquette. MTS. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, that's an intro. I'm just glad you to say, I'm just glad you to say, can I touch her hair? So that, that would have been, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that been oh, this front this this pod might not be happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh so so Jaquette, Jaquette, a warm welcome. I know who I want to read my obituary one day. Um, so <laughs> we can make that about, about, 50, about 50 years, about 50, 60 years. There you go. Jump in there, Jaquette. Welcome to have you to the Whiskey Hue. We're so excited to learn more about you, your story, and everything that's going on and uh, share your gems with our guests. So say hello. Well, hello, and thank you all so much for being here. I, I'm just so excited, very excited. I listen to almost every single episode. So uh, great, great, great. My glad... companions. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. So, so, so thank you for joining us. And, you know, we're new, we're new uh, to your audience as well. So what we want to do since this is a, you know, kind of crossover episode, introduce ourselves. So we're the Whiskey Hue. Um, as we mentioned earlier on, we're about business, tech, and culture. We've tried to find an intersection, keep it light, but also keep it informative. Um, we have three different individuals. We're brothers, like uh, Thua mentioned, but we all play in different spaces. I'm Clyde Lee. I'm the marketing guy. I'm someone who's been in the marketing space for almost 20 years across both uh, the corporate world and also in the tech uh, startup world for the last 10 years. Um, touched on everything from going from pre-series startups to Series C and Series A um, startups and help some go public public on the NASDAQ, uh, help oh. others get sold. And, you know, unfortunately, I guess, you know, I missed out on my Mark Zuckerberg payout, but I'm still uh, out here in the tech startup world making it happen. So uh, um, we're excited and, and, and excited to get to know you and your listeners. Boom. I'll go. My name is Athul Prosher. I have, I've been in tech 
music industry and uh, finance now. So I run a venture group and we invest in a lot of tech plays and media entertainment sports arena. Now we're maybe be dabbling in some whiskey. I actually might look at, I'm looking at a few of those projects. And speaking of Maxwell, he is the only one from that Neo soul movement that I did not get a chance to work with because he took seven years off when I was hot in it. So the only dude I didn't get to work with. The only dude I wanted to. Huh? It's like dropping names. Just drop. No, no, no. There's <laughs> still something behind you fell. Can you pick that up? <laughs> no, man. Oh, that was. Oh, that's Bill Clinton calling me. Hold up. I was playing. <laughs> I was playing. Um, no, but that's me in a nutshell. Let's jump it over to Anthony. Uh, my name is Anthony Gallegos, um, business development professional. I actually started off in sales. I mean, sales. I started off in marketing um, in my early iterations of my career and then said, I'm not that good at this. So I'm going to go to sales, business development. I have personality, I think. Uh, been in the game for sales, business development side for about 15 years uh, and worked in the, mostly in the media space, um, jumped into tech, um, work, mostly work on e-commerce, SaaS platforms, and now jumping into some of my own stuff on a, on a healthcare side. Um, but met these two. Um, fine gentleman, uh, years ago, working uh, with a, a media industry organization uh, called NAMIC, where we met up and we just clicked from there. And, you know, several years later, we're here with our podcast and great discussions about whiskey and football and business finance and the full teaching us what to do and what not to do. I want to <laughs> make you rich. <laughs> anyway. So, I got to get there first myself. Go ahead, Ann. So dive in, Jaquette. Tell, tell us your story. How did you get to where you are today um, and, you know, get to where your passions are? Tell us a little bit about your journey. So my journey actually started uh, in 1987. So I actually started on Wall Street in 1986, but I saw the crash of 1987 up close and personal. Wow. And... That's when I got the bug, even though I didn't have the language for it back then, to really want to know more about behavioral economics and behavioral finance. Because I saw people, and I say this without any exaggeration, I saw people, because of how much they lost that day, if they could have opened a window and jumped out of it because of what they lost for themselves and for their clients, they would have. But that was offset by the number of people that were really calm. And I was fascinated by that. I'm like, one event and yet drastically different reactions to it, A, why? And then B, why are they not talking to one another? And for me, it was a really impressionable time because, you know, I'm just 20, <laughs> still green behind the ears, 21 actually, still green behind the ears and not really understanding what was going on other than that. But that impression was further cemented by my time spent in the private bank managing money for high net worth individuals and really coming to understand that, yeah, <laughs> those people had a lot more zeros and commas behind those zeros than my family. <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> excuse me, they had the same questions that my mother had, the same challenges, the same frustrations, the same desires. They just had more to work with in that regard. Mm. And over the years, I really became interested in, in highlighting two key things. One, that success with money is just not a numbers game because at the end of the day, two plus two is going to always equal four. And yet, when you think about people's results, their experiences, and their feelings when it comes to money, it goes way beyond the numbers. And then the other thing is 
when there was a lot of, you know, emphasis on financial education, I really didn't like the fact that it was always centered around, quote unquote, people who didn't have a lot, um, who weren't quite, you know, weren't highly educated, didn't earn a lot of money as if those folks didn't know how to manage money. Because I would argue that they actually know really well how to manage their money because if they make a mistake, it's really costly for them. And on the flip side, there was this presumption that if you're highly educated and you make a lot of money, then you absolutely know what to do with your money. And one of my very first coaching clients was a Harvard MBA who worked as an investment banker. And he came to me because he was like, look, I know how to sit in a boardroom and, and negotiate an M&A deal. I can't manage my own money. So I really wanted to just kind of change the narrative around how we talked about money and what it was that we talked about when we talked about money. Amazing. Amazing. So I think that's much needed. I often hear those stories and hear about people who are in that space. And, you know, you, you, you think that the, the cook is always going to have the best food. So, you know, you're, you're helping the cooks out and helping them unlock in the money side of the business. So I love, I love, I love that. This is going to be a lot of yeah. jewels dropped today. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So, 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 so thinking through that before we dived in and we are the whiskey hit, right? Oh. So we make sure that we have a little whiskey while we having these great conversations around business, tech and culture. So one of the things we ask our guests and Jaquette is our, our, our great guest here today to select the whiskey of the day. So, what did you recommend and tell us why you decided to recommend it for, for our guests? So I went with, is it Pinhook? Absolutely. That, yep. Pinhook. Oh, so Clyde's favorite. That's, that's a fool <laughs> and Clyde's favorite. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, you are? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah. I went to the wine store. <laughs> so let me rewind. Um, I am, I love me a really good bourbon cocktail, mm-hmm. but I'm still a newbie. And I, I'm yep. not yet to the point where I can just have, you know, a, 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 a glass of just bourbon, either straight or on the rocks. I'm not there yet. And, and all of my friends that are into it, they're like, you cannot buy an expensive bottle of whiskey and then mix it with something like just <laughs> very, doing it wrong. Very good point. <laughs> so I went to the I, I went to my neighborhood wine store and I said, hey, I'm coming on to the whiskey hue. So you're going to oh. have a new listener because he said he's going to check you out. Nice. And I and I need nice. to come with a bottle of, you know, bourbon that's not going to be cheap, <laughs> but not really expensive either because I'm going to mix it. And he suggested this one. So nice. I made a BLT, which is bourbon, tonic and lemon. Nice. Very mm. nice. Very nice. <laughs> and what's the name of that? What's the name of that? Uh, the store that gave you the recommendation? Seventh Avenue. I live in Brooklyn and Park Slope. Mm-hmm. And it's called Seventh Avenue Wine and Liquors. All right. Shout Give them a quick shout out. Quick shout out from my BK crew. Yeah. All right. Mm. So we, we appreciate that. So we're going to be drinking on some Pinhook uh, today. Um, if, if you listen to one of our earlier episodes, we have featured it. That was one of the ones earlier on that, you know, I broke out. I think episode actually two or three. Yeah, that was one of our in-person episodes we had, and I shared it with the crew. I think so. It's a it's actually a a local. uh, I think it's in the VA, like local Virginia areas where they where they distill it. Clyde brought it on early episode. I think episode one or two. Then Nora brought it on. Whenever it's she right. was on, it's, right. it's it's like a three peat. You like the Michael Jordan goat? What's up, Jacket? Jacket! <laughs> look behind me. Look behind me. Hey, move out of the way, Bill Clinton. All right, look at that jersey. 
Oh man, I All love right, it. I love it. Let's focus. So, let's focus. So yeah, let, let, let me let me do my job. Let me dive right in. So Jaquette, what's new? Tell our audience uh, what's new. What's going on? You you are um, as as we like to like to say a slash. Like for our, our listeners who listen to us all the time, know that we like football. So slash was this quarterback back in the day. Uh, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a wide receiver, a quarterback. Running back, a little bit of everything, do it all, kickoff returner. So you're, I think you're a slash, right? You have the, the podcast, you're doing stuff in person, you're just making it happen. Uh, so what's new? What's going on? Share with our listeners. So what's going on is I think, especially on the heels of 2020, it is heightened everyone's awareness around two things as it pertains to personal finance and the intersection with business. Mm. And that is that you can have the best laid plans and then something unexpected happens that's completely out of your control and it throws those plans out of the water. And so what do you do to get back on track? And I think one of the things that really came out of 2020 was the reminder of how having a plan B or C or maybe even D is not an indication that you're setting yourself up for failure, but that you are indeed preparing yourself to be able to pivot if need be. So I think that's one thing that's not necessarily new, but I think it is even more so in the forefront of people's minds. So how can you then be much more Uh, not only just strategic, but systematic about your money. And not only that, how can you not let the stress of the reality prevent you from also focusing on your vision? Like don't lose sight of the vision of what it is that you want money to do for you. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. I think in terms of um, business, what it's highlighted is that if you work as an employee You also need to have something in your back pocket that you can utilize in case you need to be, you know, become an an intermediary entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You need to get get comfortable with being fluid. And And if you have a business, I think it's a reminder to make sure that you approach your business as if it is an investment portfolio, Mm. that you have offerings that are complementary. So just like, you know, I don't, I no longer manage money, but I still bring a lot of that mindset into how I not only approach my business, but even counsel others. And that is look at each offer as if it's an asset and ask yourself, is this asset complementing the other things that I have in my portfolio? Okay. Absolutely. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Love it. Oh, <laughs> love it. I told you it was going to be good. I told you. Uh, we already starting off. More fire. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's interesting because I, I often read and hear stories around, you know, those people who are wealthy, right? And oftentimes the common theme is ownership and cash flow, um, which kind of goes to that, 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 that theme that you mentioned around having that backup plan, plan and just having something in place. And the people who are wealthy, they often have those businesses and investments that have cash flow going in. But, you know, as you think about, where we are today and it's it seems like it's 10 times easier to launch a business or to just do something all on your own i think i read somewhere recently where the applications for llc's uh exponentially increased in 2020 um during the pandemic because people were trying to take those steps you know as as you see that going on in the marketplace what advice would you give our listeners who are 
in the, I guess, professional world, um, looking for an exit and taking steps to walk down that path? Like, what should they be thinking through? What should they check off? And um, what what kind of advice would you give them? Well, to echo what you said, I definitely agree that it is much easier today to start a business. I would say that it's much more difficult, though, to make sure you grow it and scale it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there, there is that. Um, and for that person who's first looking to get started, I would say ditch all of the, you know, you want to have the best website, you want to have, <laughs> you know, all of the external things, get a freaking client. <laughs> mm, nice. Focus on getting nice. Client, right? Get at least five clients, depending upon what the, the the scope and nature of your business is, or maybe even ten, before you start worrying about your website and your social presence. Like at the end of mm. the day, you need to get paying clients and make sure that you're paying attention to the process that you are following to go about getting that, because that's going to be your blueprint for what you need to do in the more immediate future and what you might want to tweak. Tweak. And then I would also say to, yes, be aware of what your, you know, perhaps year long goal is or at the end of the year goal is, but plan in 90 day increments and measure and track so that over those 90 days, you're you're constantly checking in to see how you are doing so that if you need to make some adjustments, those adjustments get on your radar a lot sooner than if you were to wait until you get closer to the year mark. Love it. That's great. That's great. Go ahead, Anthony. You got something? Yes. Yes. So one of the things that you touched on or Clyde touched on, you both touched on actually, um, is planning, planning for the, the, what the hell, right. (laughs) Happened, right. Like especially COVID, right. I learned early in my career, I was let go from a job I loved and it caught me off guard. And like had me, you know, I had to move and, and, you know, I really wasn't planned for it. I was 23, 24, something of that nature. And from there, I learned always be prepared. It's almost like sound like the Cub Scouts, right? Or, or, or Boy Scouts, always be prepared for whatever situation. How do you recommend, I guess I would say not, not the 20, not just the 20 year old, some 20 somethings, but the 30, 40, 50 somethings to prepare for not another COVID-19 pandemic, but the what if, like, how do you, how do you diversify your, 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 your finances or, or structure your life in a sense to be prepared for a 2020 kind of situation? Yeah. So I want to say a couple of things. One is that I don't want anyone to leave listening to our conversation and, and, and have the feeling or the sense that we are saying that if you weren't prepared, it was all your fault. Um, because even the people that were best sure. prepared, you know, got thrown a monkey wrench with all of this. Sure. Mm, uh, having said that, if you work as an employee, I think it is important from a financial standpoint to make sure, you know, the common wisdom, right? Make sure you've got emergency savings. But I would also say, make sure that you are not so comfortable in your current role, that you are not networking and that you are not mm. constantly building up your resources in terms of people, in terms of different kinds of projects that you're asking for. Like, don't just settle, if, if, if that makes sense, if you work as an employee. And then, you know, as 
an entrepreneur, don't put yourself in a situation where you are relying on just one client. So as an example, um, there are three pillars to my business, right? I do one-on-one coaching, mostly with entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm a four-hire speaker, like Abdul mentioned, and it's mostly with Fortune 100 to 500, AM Law 200 firms, conferences, et cetera. And I host events, the dinners and the pricing made human masterclasses. Well, just to give you an idea, in 2018, I was doing a speaking tour for two separate clients and I was on the road every week from September through December. I had 10 days off, but those were not 10 consecutive days. So that gives you a sense of just my speaking schedule and what it could be. It wasn't on par to be that intense for 2020, but on that Thursday, you know how everybody remembers where they were when something tragic happens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Thursday, March 12th, 2020, I was supposed to be leaving that Sunday for a speaking engagement. New York shut down, and then the I was going to Virginia, and Virginia shut down. Then mm. that's when I was like, holy crap, what's going to happen to my business? Because a huge chunk of it is speaking or or live events, whether it's my own or somebody else's. The only reason, I should say the only reason, but one of the key reasons why I had an amazing 2020, and this is not to, you know, be dismissive of any of the losses that people had, whether it was family, friends, jobs, businesses, et cetera, but I had one of my best revenue years ever last nice. year. Mm-hmm. And for you. one of that, one of the reasons is because of the diversification. So, and and not relying on just one client, even within that diversification. So if you have a business, make sure that you're not making your, you're not putting yourself in a vulnerable situation. I want everyone to learn to be the CEO of their own financial lives, right? It doesn't matter if you're in construction, doctor, banker, nurse, teacher, whatever profession you're in, be the CEO of your financial life. Save, invest, live a little bit. We can flex and buy whatever we want. I've done it, uh, you know, but let's let's pull back and like save and invest because then we can hand it and make it. That's just paying it forward even for your own family. Get wealth now and aggregate it for this generation, next generation. That's a huge thing, right? One thing that's alarming, and I wanted you to give both all three of us to just give if you give a vantage on this. So there's going to be this huge, and we we were discussing this. There's going to be this huge transfer of wealth as we're talking about wealth, right? Thirty trillion dollars, as we were talking about from this old, you know, the generation that's going to be giving it to then what is kind of this baby boomer generation, right? And we know that males are outlived by females generally, so that female generation is is a bit more savvy and but 80% of the time they outlive males right in whatever situation they're in partnership one alarming stat and have you seen this with your clients either of you three millennial women for some reason are reversing course and yeah. allowing the males in their life to handle finances and kind of hands off a little like five six seven percent more so I yeah. see I see we're talking it's an entrepreneurial show an an opportunity here Hey, because I'm already, we're already doing this financial literacy, invest, save, do all this thing. We're already out there doing this, this speaking engagements, but putting together curriculums around that. I'm putting out there for our billions of listeners between our two podcasts, do something like that. I'm going to do it. There's enough, of the, there's enough pie out there for everybody to get. I'm, I, I want to put together some more financial literacy that would help these folks in a way that you can, that's sustainable, have, lead them, help them leave sustainable ways. But give us some vantage points on that. We're seeing that key financial decisions are relayed over to the male. Generally, yeah. yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah. So that's from the UBS study. I think it was the 2020 or 2019 UBS study that you're pulling that stat from. I find it interesting, but I am also not too surprised by it because Mm -hmm. when I wrote my book, Financial Intimacy, so it came out in 2008, which means I delivered it to the publisher in 2000. I'm sorry. It came out in 2009. I delivered it to the publisher in 2008, which meant I was doing research and writing it prior to that. And I was still back then surprised at the number of women who would just completely abdicate all financial decisions and responsibilities, mostly to their husbands or their boyfriends if they lived with them. So I'm not so surprised by that. Um, There are two things that I want to just piggyback on, though. When it comes to the wealth piece, I think people need to figure out how do they want to build wealth? Right. Because there there are really, at the end of the day, three key pathways. You can either own a business, invest in the stock market or invest in income producing real estate. What are the pathways that you want and what's your number? Because if you don't know which pathway and you don't know what number, how do you know what decisions you need to make today that are going to get you there? That's one thing. The second thing is. I would love to know more, and this is really more of a question than a definitive statement. I would love to know if the reason that women are taking a standoffish position when it comes to money, if that is connected to the experience that they're having within the workforce. Mm -hmm. I don't have the answer to that, but that's a question. May I jump in? I got some some information. First things first. Mind your words, a fool. Okay. So, so watch what you retain. Okay. Okay. I, no one knows. I, Touche. You know, we, okay. Thank you. All right. Go ahead. No, all those. So you, you're bringing up a great point. It's, there's, there's some weird juxtaposition here. And I'll stop me before I go into this nerd tangent if it gets too long. So you have more females graduating from college than males now, right? So, mm-hmm. and you think, and then in the financial world, let's just jump strictly in this one. A lot more female presence, which is a good thing. Let's get it. Let's get it at equity. Now, here's the weird thing. So I'm going to pull a generalized conversation and I've just did this on our pod last week in a different pod about crypto and economy. So if you look at the baby boomer versus the millennial generation, I'm not in either of these generations, right? I'm in, I'm sandwiched in between. So they've had a very different experience with the economy mm-hmm. and their circumstance, economic environment. So baby boomers came out and it was, they're thriving their twenties. It was amazing, right? Um, think about it. In the 1980s, that would have been, right? Equity markets, relatively cheaper, cheapest in history. Um, they had attractive prices for everything. Bond market, yields were 15, 16, 17%, right? Real estate, because of inflation, was shellacked, so it was cheaper. Millennials, flip side, equity markets, overvalued. Got to say it. Real estate, overvalued. It's They're coming out into this world that it's just, you know, Whatever comments people used to make three, four years ago about the millennial generation, now you have to sit back and say, damn, they got a lot harder than even my generation and the generation before me, uh, before us all. So I, it's just incredible. Like with the baby boomers, wages and inflation just kind of kept static. So now it's the same for the millennial generation, right? Their money, their dollar can buy a lot less, even though they're increasing. So it just, but it is still an alarming fact that should have no conjunction with, hey, females taking a back seat more often than they did just 10 years ago. I don't know. I still don't understand that phenomenon. Well, I think just because more women are 
graduating undergrad and 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 grad school in whatever form that may take. And just because there are a lot more women that are in financial services, that doesn't mean that they are in the kinds of positions where they can make some key decisions. So you can have a lot more, but if you don't have a lot more in some key decisions around what's happening at different institutions, that's going to have an impact. The other thing is I think people forget that for the most part, what we consider the personal finance industry, it's relatively young. Like I remember being at Bankers Trust, right? And Bankers Trust wasn't a, you know, you couldn't just walk into Bankers Trust as someone off the street. We only worked with institutional clients or high net worth families and et cetera. One of the things that we did in the private bank was sell mutual funds, but that was when there was a transition from mutual funds only being available to institutional clients now being available to quote unquote retail clients. And guess what? Retail clients still weren't the people that were walking in off the street. And that was just 1986. So I think people forget how young the industry is and just how much has changed over that course of time. You know, I want to get us into a topic that's near and dear to you after I layer it with some crap that I always, I'm looking at the governments, I'm looking at our Fed system. We're printing money right now, right? So everything's, money's being devalued. So to my earlier point, let's get people in these, hey, if you can be someone on the flip side and teaching folks about it, there's a great business opportunity there, right? Let's not call it financial literacy though. I hate that phrase. Oh, that's what I was, I was going with it. But um, I, but what else, what's another term for it? What's another term? Getting people comfortable with that space. Diversifying your bonds. That's what we're calling it. Bonds is the most. You can play with bonds all you want, right? (laughs) Chappelle show, man. Chappelle show. Uh, Okay, that's true. Jeez, come on. Yeah, I have an alternative for financial literacy, but I'll tell you why I have such a strong reaction to it. Okay. Because of the fact that you know, again, having been in the industry for a really long time, I know that the financial literacy movement really came about because it was a part of the bank's CRA, Community Reinvestment Act requirements. Mm. And really all they wanted to do was to be able to say, if they went into a low-income neighborhood, that they were providing some services to the people in that low-income neighborhood. And so for them, financial literacy was, let me show you how to open a bank account. Let me show you how. But it wasn't really taking a comprehensive look at what people could do. So that's my reaction. That's why that was, I have a strong reaction. That was, that I didn't know after, that. That was after the, the, after it oh wait, right? When that would all. No, happen. that would have been much no, earlier than that. Six. So, okay. So after, after the financial, in oh wait, um, was the requirement that, that they had to open more retail banks in low income neighborhoods. Well, the, they, so it was both. So even back in 86, they had to open, there was a requirement that if you wanted to open, you had to do more outreach. And then in, in 2008, it was, it was <laughs> for those people that didn't do it, <laughs> you got to do it now. Got it. Got it. And then wow. they probably taught them some of the elementary things. But yeah, as you said, they didn't go down to next layer to help you be a CEO of your financial life. Like, okay, open a bank account. The elementary things, these are important for some people. But how, what do you do with it once you have it? Uh, what? Should, how do we leverage that? And also policy issues, right? I mean, there's just no way you can you you can have a nonpartisan conversation, but you can't ex- extract the politics out of it. And here's an example: in 2001, I was doing workshops for this nonprofit that worked with people in transition. So you can read that as incarceration to work and welfare to work. Now, as a style preference, I like keeping my nails short. They're always painted, but they're short. 
Well, there's one young lady always had these long, like, you know, clearly she went to the salon nails, right? And I just suggested that maybe instead of going once a week, she'd go twice a month. And she said to me, I know, Anthony's like, oh my God. <laughs> I know exactly where this is going. This is what we've been driving home, right? Try to, if you I can pull exactly back from some things. And, no, if you can pull back and save some of that versus spending it, right? Go. From a policy standpoint, she said, why would I do that? If I show that I save more than X, my benefits will be taken away. So what the hell are you bringing me in here as an organization? Why are you bringing me in here to help these people develop some better financial skills and habits? And yet, if they actually do the darn thing we want them to do, you're going to penalize them and take their money away from them. And they're not yet in a position where they can be completely on their own. So I think the, the, my issue with financial literacy also is that it makes it seem as though it is entirely the person. And yes, we all have to take have some agency and take personal responsibility, but you can't just have that conversation outside of what's going on systemically. That makes perfect sense. I had no idea that historical tied in. Oh, that's great. So let's think of a term that's better. Let's think, but let's park that and think about that. Hopefully it's something better because I'm pushing that everywhere. Talk to Clyde. He's a marketing person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to draw. So you, you work in this whole financial intimacy, your intimate relationship with your money. And then often between spouses, significant others, jump us into that conversation. Let's, let's dive into that. Yeah. So for me, yes. When I wrote the book, Financial Intimacy, I definitely was looking at the intersection of love and money and looking at it with a social critics lens, if you will, from the standpoint of, what changed over the last 40 years, politically, economically, socially, and familially that affected how we showed up in relationships and how we showed up in relationships when it came to money. And I, I still wholeheartedly stand behind that. But I also would extend it and say that really when we're talking about financial intimacy, it's the intersection of everything. It's the intersection when if you have a business, what's your relationship with money? Because I feel like your relationship with money, with yourself, with your business, with your people, that all shows up. And I feel like when you have a business, conventional wisdom would say that you you prioritize your business's financial success over your own. And I would say that actually every business decision that you make should be made with the consideration of what impact is this going to have on your personal financial health and wealth. What did you find when you dove in deep? Give us two characteristics that stood out for both genders when you jumped into these conversations with the folks. The assumptions we make. <laughs> okay. Is, is that true? So there's nothing that we could peel back and see something different? Oh my God, there absolutely is. But I think I think that that is the thing to peel back. Like what assumptions are you making? So here's an example. Um, one couple, they lived together for four years before they got married. They came to me eight months after they got married because mm. they were like, oh, God, what the hell is going on? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know if we could curse here. But, yeah, um, it's curse it is encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> they, they lived together for four years before they got married. And during that time, they split everything 50-50, right? Rent, vacations, utilities, dinners, everything was 50-50. They get married. They come to me, like I said, I think eight to nine months afterward. Why? Because she thought that once they got married, they would have joint accounts. And instead of things being split 50-50, it would be proportional. Where did she get that from? Because that's what she saw growing up. Her parents were together. Her father 
owned a business. Her mother didn't work outside the home. She helped with the business. She never saw it. Well, I don't know if she, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's fair to say she never saw them fighting about money, but not in a significant way. She always saw them making decisions jointly. He, on the other hand, grew up in a divorced household, never saw his parents talk about money, let alone fight about it. And his mother was also a professional outside of the home. So from his standpoint, he's like, why in the world would anything change? We've been doing it this way for four years and it worked perfectly. And she was like, well, I thought it would change because we got married now. So I think we all go into into it with assumptions about how we're going to be with money and we never double check those assumptions. So that's so let's let's do a business angle on this. So that's the cost basis. That's the cost structure of it, right? This is what the costs are. Boom. Let, no one the other side of it is the the revenue the profit centers. Like okay, the incomes you're all making, has that been discussed between you two? Right. Uh, have you, okay. This person makes this much. A lot of that we're finding out there's this movie called a documentary called savvy, which is going to be in my shit. You should know section. It's all about that. And Jaquette, your friend, Manisha Takor or whatever. We spoke on a panel together. She, you put us on a panel together a long time ago. She's in it. I said, Oh, I know her, uh, from you, but so where's my slot. (laughs) Exactly. But it's, it's all about that. Like these people, like, so people, especially when they're four years together, they don't know if, if they don't know how much each is making what are the expected outcomes moving forward? What are our, you know, these are challenges as much as you want to discuss where we're going to live and having a baby discuss finances too, right? That's a big thing. Yeah. You know, there, there's a saying that uh, goes, you know, people, the, the myth is that we don't talk about money. I actually think we talk about money all the time. I just don't think we're having the right conversations. And go. so as a result, <laughs> couples are not having those key conversations. Mm, I think that's I think that's a very valuable statement. And give us a couple questions, pointers, tips that you would say for our listeners who are going down that path to potentially have those the conversations. What questions would you tell them to ask based on your past experience? So just rapid um, fire. Yeah. With one caveat. You okay. ask any question you want. <laughs> However, okay. you gotta be willing to answer it first. So you can't, can't put the other person ah. on the spot without oh. you yourself on the spot first. So that's the, that's one caveat. But I think one key question is to ask, um, start off like, what was your biggest mistake that you, financial mistake that you made and what did you learn from it? That's, I think, a really good question. Another good question is, um, what's, what's, what's a big dream that you have that, that mm. will require money and how much money do you think it's going to take? Um, another question is if you are not doing the work that you love, that is also helping you to make money, what would you do? Mm, I think love three it. questions right there are great to start. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great start. And then something else you touched on earlier, which I think is important into the, that conversation as well is what's your number? Um, yeah. do you have any guidance or kind of insight on helping people at least who are not necessarily in a position to come up with that number, at least at an aggregate at a high level, what they should think about when they're developing their number? I purposefully suggest that people come up with that number waving the magic wand. Because here's the thing, it's not about the number being accurate. People are looking for certainty in all the wrong places, and that's one of them. It's more about whatever that number is. If you think about what you have now, that means you need to make some very specific choices. 
your strategy, your boundaries, you know, your discernment, where are you going to be creative or how are you going to be creative in terms of closing it? So you could have that number be a thousand dollars or a million dollars or a hundred million dollars. But what you, when you reverse engineer it, it becomes, well, if that's really what I want, what are the decisions I need to make today to make that happen? Because that means you're going to have to make some trade-offs and the trade-offs that you make when it's a hundred thousand dollars, or it's very different when it's a million versus a hundred million as well. All right. Absolutely. So I think this is a good point um, for us to just think about the world at scale, right? So you've dove into some of the key topics in, in your world, specifically around financial, uh, the impact and intimacy and a number of other areas, but Thinking about the world at scale and, you know, there's one that's important and valuable to me is black entrepreneurship. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And where do you what, what kind of insights will you, would you have around black entrepreneurship? I think it's a key, you know, pathway for creating not only wealth for you today, but if you have family members, generational wealth, depending upon the kind of business that you create. So I am totally behind it. Um, the one concern that I have though, and I think this is not just about black entrepreneurship, it's about entrepreneurship in general. And I had this conversation with Adul um, earlier is that I think far too often the conversation is centered around VC and not every business needs to have outside investment. Not every business needs to scale in that way and needs to have, you know, an exit strategy. And so I think people need to be really clear, and this goes to, you know, people having those come to Jesus moments. What kind of business are you building? Mm-hmm. Are you building a business that's generational, wealth, but you're passing it on into your family? Or are you building a business that is indeed, you know, requires outside investing and you do want to scale it and you do want to have an exit plan for that? So to me, it goes back to, you don't have to be certain about things, but you need to be clear. Mm. You had me at not every business is venture backable. Thank you so much for saying that. Applause track, please. <laughs> Drop it in. <laughs> it's, Damn. it's funny. It's a. It's funny though. A thought. A thought. All three of us. We had this conversation about uh, entrepreneurship, but the business, right? The, what business you are creating, and where does it fall on a scale of potential of wealth or revenue that you can make? Right. Not every business. Not everybody's going to be Facebook. Even right. if you're a tech, even if you're a tech company mm-hmm. and not every hair barbershop, hair salon is going to, you know, you're going to come out with your own hair products that are going to sell millions of dollars. Right. Most aren't. Right. There, there's a cap. There's a ceiling for a lot of a lot of industries, a lot of businesses. And similar to personal finances, there's an honesty factor that you need to have uh, when it comes down to creating a business and where it can go, how far is the potential and just live there and be yeah. comfortable with it. Yeah. And if it goes further, they're awesome. Uh, right. Quick, exactly. Quick, quick tag on to that. That's a great point. So let's say if, if things aren't venture back, well, let's, let's strip those away. Let's say it's a beauty shop or a, or a salon, a nail salon, whatever it is. Use that as a means to another end, right? That doesn't mean at the end all, that's going to be my one cash bank that I'm going to be pulling all my revenues from. Take that again, 10% of your intake, invest that somewhere else. If that's not going to be something that's going to get you to Mark Zuckerberg status, looking like Android, um, like robotic, <laughs> uh, that's cool. But if you can get take take pool out of whatever your income source is and invest like 10, 15, 20 percent, whatever you're comfortable with and get uncomfortable, get uncomfortable a little bit, invest a little bit more than you're comfortable with and push it forward. It's so that's like Dogecoin that you're talking about. 
That's all you, man. I'm not. <laughs> <nope. laughs> <laughs> wasn't a lie. I threw a couple K at it just for the hell of it, but you know, it wasn't, it's, it's a, wasn't a good wasn't a good Saturday this past week. Whole situation. I read the article in the New Yorker about. Um... It's so dumb. <laughs> no, but look, no, but you know what? Give 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 whoever's doing it. It's it, valuations are crazy. I don't know if Apple should be worth what it is. I mean, I th- actually, I think it's undervalued as an asset. Apple, but um, but it's really high right now. But Dogecoin. It's interesting, but you can play other people's perceptions. You don't have to play true value. Play the perception. I cut you off, Jaquette. Say something. What were you about to say? I was actually going to just say that going back to the hair salon idea, also make sure that you're not just, you know, focused on revenue, but you're focused Mm. on profit. Mm. Good Good times. (laughs) Well, I, and, and, and that's where I'll lean on. Lean on uh, you, you, you find folk uh, to make sure you teach people the difference, right? People have to do, they do need to know the difference, right? Uh, 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 what, not just bringing in revenue, but also getting to a point of having profitability. Um, and that's a, and that's, and that's a conversation that I'll, I don't think a lot of people do have. So uh, <laughs> in that regard, I uh, did some workshops for the NBA and it was a part of their rookies in transition what? week. And I had the nerve, little old me, I had the nerve to stand up there in that little conference room and tell those young men who just signed these multi-million dollar contracts and tell them, you are not rich. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. Nice. You are not wealthy. You are rich. You are not uh, yes. wealthy. Because you could have a million dollar contract, but if you spend $999,000 of it, you're not wealthy. I love it. I love it. Okay. Good for you. Good. They're like, hey, but you're like, hey, I'm also open to dating one of you rich cats, and I'll help you. <laughs> you know what? So, Jaquette, tie it together because you, you actually do something with the mayor's office, right? Sorry. Yeah, I, I do. I sit on the uh, cabinet for advancing black entrepreneurship. Okay. So- it's um, it's a relatively new endeavor, and and you know it will last regardless of what happens with the next election. So that's a good thing. Okay. Um, but it's looking at helping to bring back and then also support those businesses that were just severely impacted. And these are skills that these are lifelong skills you have to learn, right? I I grew up in a household where we didn't discuss. Um, I didn't know how to trade stocks till I got out of my household, right? My dad wasn't into it. That's fine. He did his thing. He did some things in real estate. I didn't get any of it. I had to teach myself. Even the MBA level didn't teach me what I needed to know. I remember I did my first financial model at a hedge fund. They're like, get that shit out of here, man. <laughs> and, and that would have been true no matter where you came from. I was sitting next to a, a Harvard dude and it's the same thing. So it's learned this stuff. I didn't know what a, credit cards, you know, they hand it to you in, in college and then people don't know if you get $500 credit. And then I remember I had 260 on there once. And the next time I tried to spend 250, I got denied. I'm like, why? Cause I, cause the month cycle hadn't come the recurring thing. Teach these, this is what we need. Financial uh, knowledge, whatever the term we're going to come up with. <laughs> we got to teach that kind of stuff. Right? I was like, I was like, did I have a problem with the Wi-Fi? He's not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but, Anything else we should discuss here in this in this realm before we kind of wrap it? I think to piggyback on that, I think it's important that people recognize that, A, we all have a relationship with money. B, it's going to be one of the longest relationships that you will have. And therefore, it mm-hmm. will evolve, right? And so what you need money to do for you today will be different than what you need for it to do for you in five years and in 10 years. And that's fine. Um, and so... Yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. I just just remember that you have a relationship with money and that it's going to change and just practice, right? Like 
there's a reason why I think we say practice medicine and practice law, because it's to remind people that it is mm. something that you are endeavoring to always get better at. And that's probably the mindset that we should bring to both money and entrepreneurship. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing those gems. And so, so Jaquette, this has been a great episode and she has a lot of gems that you can find on her podcast, more than money you can find on all platforms. And one that really stand out to me of many that's uh, near and dear to my heart is episode. That's um, what do babies, business and money have in common? You know, since I have three babies, three kids, you know, I'm always trying to juggle and understand what can I do because my, my psychology is just all over the place trying to understand the, the baby. So this is a good one. Check it out. Check out the podcast with Jaquette. And thank you for, uh, for dropping some gems on us, uh, Jaquette. Oh, I think our audience five. and our listeners Hold we'll on. We it. need to say one more thing. Hey, Jaquette and oh. Jaquette's listeners, listen to Whiskey Hue Pod. We talk about anything from marketing to finance to Kim Kardashian and how she relates to the K-curve on the stock market. We do it all over here. So let's get in. You're going to learn a lot about marketing finance, sometimes some marketing biz dev, and a lot of finance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, one day we're going to start recording this video. I would love on to. YouTube because, I got a lot of shit to do. Because, because, because you know what? I People need to see my reactions every time I pull. That's a guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, thank, thank you for listening. Uh, so, one of the things we like to do, and I'm sure if you can, if you got the heads up, we have a special, and it's one of the best parts of the show. Is uh, Part of the episode is called Shit You Should Know. Um, this is where we drop gems on what we're reading, watching, uh, uh, what we've been hearing, just information that we want to share with our listeners and just give them tips around stuff to check out. So, um, you know, we'll let, we'll let you go after one of us kicks it off so that you're not put on the spot. Uh, so Anthony, go first. What the- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So mine's, mine's nothing sexy. All right. Um, changes. With the health and human services, uh, there's going to be changes or amendments proposed at the end of last year to the right to access. All right, now, so right to access is pretty much any individual who go goes to a doctor and they have electronic health records or any of your medical records, you can request your records. Like if you're leaving your doctor, you go somewhere else, you have the right to re- request your records and they have a 30-day requirement to get you your information, whatever it looks like. There's changes going to where they're going to try to drop it down to 15 days and put it on a platform where you can get it, get have access to it. Providers are PO'd because there's no there's no pathway of the cost that's gonna that's that 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 they're gonna have to take on because when it comes down to your images, that's a huge, huge cost for them. Um, and then their concern is also security. Why this matters to us as individuals is it's your data. These mm. are your records. And if you pay attention to your life as a whole, how many potential doctors you have changed and where your medical information is, it's all over the place. Unless you somehow have the same pediatrician that you had when you were younger. <laughs> and like, if you and it, <laughs> stop it, fool. Stop, stop it. If you've seen multiple doctors like I have, orthopedists, surgeries here, this kind of doctor, GI, whatever. You have your medical data in a lot of different places. Mm. So this is very important information uh, to pay attention to and how this is going to be regulated and what's going to come up. So it's nothing sexy. We're not, it's not Facebook, it's not Amazon, but this is something very important to how you have your data, especially people here who have kids and people who are listening who have kids, where their data is going to lie. Because when we were children, 
it was just papers. Now mm. it's digitized and it could be all over the internet and all over the world. So boom. Get that on the blockchain. Another business opportunity. Boom. Go ahead. Who's next? <laughs> you got it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, speaking of those tech companies, I'll get in real quick. So NYT reported Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, our big guys, right? Annual revenues were 1.2 trillion. That's 25% more than since the pandemic started. And they make more in sales in one week, those five companies, than McDonald's does all year. Just think about that. So $2.2 trillion market cap for Apple. Okay. So now, you know, I have, I have a list of 50 usually, um, cause Anthony loves it when I do that. <laughs> AmeriCares. Um, so disaster relief group health org. This is a serious one. One of the most trusted orgs in efficiently delivering oxygen supplies and other resources to where needed most. Right now, India is having a huge uptick after relative calm compared to this. So if you can election cycles and COVID election cycles, tons of different religions having religious holidays all at once. A lot of people are aggregating spread like wildfire. My wife's hospital, New York Presbyterian partnered with AmeriCares because they are one of the most efficient and delivering. So if anyone has, you know, a couple of extra dollars, Go a long way. Think about New York City, how we were hit last year, uh, times 10, the amount of people in one third the space. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, okay. As Clyde, this is going to be uncomfortable for Clyde. Um, I, as he alluded to, I'm the, you know, token Asian on the podcast. So this gets really uncomfortable, Clyde. It's Asian history month. Uh, <laughs> Clyde never lets me celebrate and he gives me one month a year, one month <laughs> to shine. <laughs> Always suppressing me. I pitch him ideas like, no, nah, man, only black. I'm like, he's only black stuff. I'm like, hey, man, how about how about Mahatma Gandhi? Is he black? I'm like, no. He's like, hell no. I want Jay-Z. He goes, you can have half of Kamala, Kamala Harris because, you know, because, you know. <laughs> and he, not even the Indian half. He said the black half. That's what that's just because her daddy went half. On all right. All right. Stay on track. Right, we get, we get on all right. track. Peace. Just going to shout out some there's, some there's some CEOs that have been killing it. Right. Kamala Harris, obviously killing it. Um, everyone knows the CEOs of Google, Microsoft, Adobe, IBM. A lot of them are pulling their companies that were kind of dusty for a while, Microsoft and IBM, and into the cloud. So that's kind of taking them into another stratosphere. Run and Gap, MasterCard. Gap's got this deal with Kanye that never would have came out before. The South Asian lady got in charge of it, uh, CEO Sonia Singhal, and they got the Kanye thing. I don't know if that's going to work out for him. Who knows? He's good or bad. Um, MasterCard, Palo Alto Networks. Berkshire Hathaway almost had a South Asian successor, but he went with the other guy. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Just want to shout out some of these big names, right? Um, that Beeple art piece, this might be uh, a hit on our intelligence. That went for bought for $70 million. That was a South Asian dude that bought that. Might not be the smartest cat, but he made it in all Ethereum money, right? So it was worth a cent. And then six years later, it's worth $70 million. He's like, why not part with some of this? Um, that's it. Just want to give them a shout out to those kind of folks. Absolutely. And so, right. so, so that you don't have to go last, you can go ahead if you have anything. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, offer up the continuation of the conversation around Robin hood. Like that is still, uh, Whoa. in the yes. news. And what I think is so fascinating about it from a, as you say, should, you should know perspective is that I think it's really introducing the opportunity for us to have two really important conversations. One, the differentiation between information and insight. And the other, the differentiating factor of, are you a trader or an investor? You can be one or the other, or you can be both. 
But you need to know what hat you are wearing when you are investing in the market, because that's going to influence your behavior. And you also need to make sure that you are not just looking at the information, but you're going through a process that allows you to convert that into some insight so that you can make better decisions. And what I'm curious to see is as this continues to be a conversation in in general, but then also perhaps from a legislative and policy standpoint, where where things fall out. So my should, should you should know is to pay attention to that. Absolutely, thank like you, for, thank you for sharing that. And I just have two quick ones. One, I thought we'll love uh, Tim Tebow was just picked up as a <laughs> tight end for oh, the Jacksonville. Oh, but I know that was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he's been out of the league for a while, but that's what you should know. Oh my God. <laughs> I just want to throw a little curveball in there, especially I just see a great gym. Uh, and, and, then, and then something that may or may not impact us all is the Colonial Pipeline being hacked. Um, if you haven't been paying attention to what's been going on in the news, this is interesting from a couple of perspectives. One is around, um, you know, the Russians have hacked the pipelines, et cetera. But, you know, it's driving the price of gas up through the roof, almost like a 70s style uh, lineups to get your your gas filled up. So it's just interesting to watch that. I just say pay attention um, from the marketplace, uh, what what you can potentially do. Investments there that, you know, a single pipeline is feeding pretty much the whole East Coast. And this is uh, a great reflection of, um, you know, why things like electric cars and alternative energy sources really matter in today's society. So I would say check out the colonial pipeline being hacked as something uh, you should dig into. That's some shit you should know. And that's what Anthony shared, right? Because that's about data and who has control over that data. There you go. As we were taping, it just went back on. They said it was just going to be running again as of this evening. It just went back online as we were taping. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, crazy. So, yeah, this has been another episode of the Whiskey Who. We were sipping on Pinhook, uh, which is a fan favorite bourbon of ours. So, um, you know, guys, I know we've reviewed this multiple times, so I won't ask everybody to chime in. You know, I'm a fan. Uh, Jaquette, thank you for recommending it, uh, getting us back on it. Concerned, I was like, I can't come up here and not recommend a good one. No, no, no. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. They, they actually have a, bu- a bunch a, of different flavors. So if you like that one, okay I say check us. out the other ones. You're you're okay with us? It's the it's your it's your it's your friend <laughs> who, who might have an issue. <laughs> he likes to, he likes to drink with his pinky up every now and then. So. <laughs> like, he about drinking whiskey. Yeah, I don't well, know how you I do that. Oh damn! Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. so this has been a, a great episode of the Whiskey Hue. Uh, Jaquette, thank you for joining us. It was such a pleasure. <laughs> As a fool takes a drink with his pinky up in the air. Pinky toe, that is. Jaquette, I will say I did like the makeup of your drink when you were sipping on it. You had your little fruit on the side of it. Lemon wedge. Yeah, lemon wedge. Look at you. You're so fancy. You're so fancy. Uh, but we, it. I even had it in the freezer. For oh man! I told you. I told you when the episode started, you were going to level us up, and this is so true. <laughs> that, that that lemon we matches. Long, we got a long way to go. Yeah, it, it matches Clyde's size medium yellow shirt, but that's good, man. <laughs> All right, we're done. We're done. All right. So thank you for right. listening to another episode of the Whiskey Hill. This has been a good one. Check us out on all platforms, and be sure to uh, rate us. Rate us. Um, 
on all the platforms as well. Thank you. Peace.